And welcome to the Health Matters Radio Show. It's Monday, it's the 16th of March 2020, and this is show number 90 if you are listening on Catch Up. I hope you are all keeping well and you've had a good weekend. Now, on today's show, we are going to cover um, a few different topics. I'm going to continue the discussion about uh, adrenal fatigue. So on last week's show, we covered the symptoms of adrenal fatigue, and today we are going to talk about ways that we can actually help ourselves if it is a condition that we do suffer with. Um, we also have our guest interview today. Today we have Sam Palmer, and Sam is from Midlife Makeover. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. It's great to have you on the show this morning. And we're going to find out more about Sam and her background and how she helps people in about 20 minutes or so. Uh, the first topic of the day will, will, will be about COVID-19. I'm going to go into that in a bit more detail in a moment. But before I do so, a quick disclaimer about the show. Now, the purpose of the Health Matters show is to help you with competent information on the topics that we cover in ways that you can improve your own health. But this is on the understanding that I'm not engaged in providing medical advice and the content of the show should not be treated as a substitute for such. If you have any concerns about your general health or you require medical or other expert assistance, please do speak to a suitably qualified healthcare professional, which in many cases can be obtained by dialing 111. All the content is provided for general information only, and I encourage you to do your own research. And the show is based on my knowledge, my research, my experience, and often my opinion. And as such, I disclaim any liability that is incurred from the use of or application of the content of the show. Quick reminder of the show's social media feeds. On Twitter, on, on Twitter, it's at Health Radio Show. On Facebook, if you search the Health Matters Radio Show, you can like the show's Facebook page. And you'll be able to listen again to this show and all previous 89 shows on the media page of my website, which is www.i-nutrition.co.uk and also on iTunes. Go to iTunes, search the Health Matters Radio Show in the search bar and all the previous shows are there too. So, COVID-19, or as it's commonly known, the coronavirus. Now, I do like to cover general health and wellness topics on a week-to-week -week basis as I mentioned in the disclaimer, to help to educate people to improve their own health. Um, I'm in that fortunate position as well that sometimes I can use my show tactically and I can help to educate people on current issues. Um, a recent example of that was a few weeks ago, um, Caroline Flack tragically took her life and then on the show a couple of days later I did a piece about mental health. So I have that, I have that privilege uh, and, and, and that honour to be able to help people with the education on current issues. So we are going to talk about COVID-19, but we're not going to be fear-mongering. I'm really not into uh, stirring up panic. I'm a big believer about education. And I'm a big believer that if you have an enemy to fight, 
The more that you know about your enemy and about their tactics, the more success you are likely to have. Now, I do a lot of networking, and one of the things over the last week or so that really surprised me was how little people know about the difference between bacteria and viruses, which we did cover on last week's show. So please listen to show 89, and you'll learn more about, about bacteria and viruses and their differences. But the really scary thing was, given that this COVID-19 is the topic of the moment, how little people actually know about it. So I'm going to go through a quick um, Q&A of the major areas that people have asked me about. Now, I'm not a virologist, okay? I'm not an expert on coronavirus. I just know a little bit more about it than most people. So please do your own research on the topics and, and the bits that we're going to cover. Um, but hopefully in, in the next 15 minutes or so, at the end of the 15 minutes, you'll know a lot more about the coronavirus, specifically COVID-19, than you do right now. OK, so the big question at the moment is, should we worry about coronavirus or specifically COVID-19? Well, the truth is, actually, worry for the sake of worrying is very counterproductive. At one end of the spectrum, we have people who are still laughing and joking about it and not taking it seriously. And at the other end of the spectrum, we have people who are worrying to the point of panic and they're buying six months' worth of toilet roll and rice and pasta and, for some reason, tin tomatoes also. Now, there is a middle ground that says you don't need to panic, you don't need to be fearful, but you do need to take the threat seriously. So should you worry... No, you shouldn't worry, but you should take practical action to protect yourself and others. Now, for those that do pick up COVID-19, the infection is generally mild, especially for children and younger adults, but it can cause serious illness in one out of five people. And those people want, uh, might need hospital care. So if you've got people around you, perhaps elderly relatives, there is a cause for concern. But by taking simple steps, as we're going to cover in a moment, you can reduce the risk to yourself and you can re uh, reduce the risk to your loved ones and your friends as well. So what is a coronavirus? Now, the coronaviruses are not limited to the ones that we just heard about recently. They've actually been around for a long, long time. And the coronaviruses are a family of viruses and, in fact, quite a large family of viruses. And these can cause illness in humans and also some animals as well. Now, in humans, we pick up um, coronaviruses that are mainly respiratory infections. So these can range from the common cold to more serious conditions like MERS, which is Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and SARS, which I'm sure many of you heard about. About 17, 18 years ago, um, SARS was a big thing, and SARS is secure, uh, sorry, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Now, within the family of coronaviruses, the most recently discovered one has been the one that we now call COVID-19. And why do we call it COVID-19? COVID um, because it was, it, it, it's of the coronavirus family and it was discovered in 2019, and hence the word or the, or the, or the terminology COVID-19. They also call it a novel coronavirus. Now, novel very simply means a new coronavirus that has not been previously identified. Um, now, the virus that, ca that is causing coronavirus disease 2019, or COVID-19, is not the same as the coronaviruses that commonly circulate among humans and cause mild illnesses like the common cold. And other coronaviruses 
within the family include things like the, the, the 229E virus, the NL63 virus, the OC43 virus and the HKU1 virus. So these are all different coronaviruses within the family of coronavirus. We are just going to focus on, on COVID-19 this morning. So what are the symptoms? Now, a bit like the flu, the most common symptoms are fever, tiredness and a dry cough. Some people will have aches and pains, some will have nasal congestion, a runny nose, uh, some will get a sore throat and some may get diarrhoea. Now, these symptoms usually start mild and begin gradually. And actually, some people don't, uh, some, some people become infected, but don't develop symptoms and don't feel unwell, certainly for quite a few days. Now, as I mentioned, around 80% of people recover from the disease without needing special treatment, simply you know, a week or two uh, away from other people. One in, uh, one in six people will become seriously ill uh, and may develop breathing problems. And those with underlying health issues like high blood pressure, heart problems, diabetes, and also the elderly who generally have a weakened immune system compared to younger people might be more likely to develop a serious um, illness. If you've got a fever, if you've got a cough, if you've got difficulty breathing, then you should seek medical attention. So how does COVID-19 spread? Well, people catch COVID-19 from others who have the virus. There is a terminology called um, R0, and R0 determines how many people the average person will infect. For the flu virus, the common uh, flu virus we get every year, the R0 value is 1.2. Uh, for coronavirus, uh, I, and it does change on a day-to-day -day basis, so this information is very fluid. But the information I was looking at yesterday, the R0 uh, factor is 3.4. So on average, every person that catches it will infect 3.4 people. Now, the disease can spread from person to person through small droplets from the nose or the mouth, which are then spread as the person coughs or exhales. These droplets can land on objects and surfaces around that person, and then people without the COVID-19 virus can touch these objects and surfaces, and then they touch their eyes, their nose or their mouth. And that's kind of, that's a very common way that people are um, catching it. So the main um, cause of transmission is through coughing and sneezing. So respiratory hygiene in some people is pretty poor, but uh, a secondary way that people are catching it is actually from touching surfaces and then touching their mouth. So if there is a virus on a door handle, for example, and you touch it, actually providing you don't touch your hands or your, or your, so touch your face or your mouth or your nose or your eyes, the chances of you getting infected is very, very low. You just got to make sure you keep your hands clean on a regular basis. And we'll cover that in a moment. Can coronavirus, can COVID-19 be spread through food, including refrigerated food? Well, generally speaking, the latest evidence is no. There is no evidence to support the transmission of COVID-19 through food. But that's not to say that we shouldn't still exercise good food hygiene in terms of the way we prepare our food. So wash our hands with soap and water for 20 seconds um, before we prepare food. And obviously make sure that we just keep our general hygiene good throughout the day. Is COVID-19 transmitted through the air? Well, studies to date suggest that COVID-19 is mainly transmitted through contact with respiratory droplets rather than through the air. Okay, so but that again, that information is the latest information we have, but it does change on a regular basis.
Will the warm weather stop the outbreak of COVID-19? Well, again, it's, this is a bit of an unknown because in some hot countries it is spreading. So some common viruses like the, flu, like the flu and the cold virus spread more during cold winter months. But it's, that doesn't mean it's impossible to get those illnesses in warmer months, OK? So it doesn't, it doesn't make the virus inactive. I try and stay, stay, away from the, stay away from the terminology of killing the virus because, as, as we covered on last week's show, viruses are not living things. Um, but if you want to find out more about that, please listen to last week's show. So at this time, it's not known whether the spread of COVID-19 will decrease when the warmer weather comes, hopefully in the next few months, um, and obviously that research is ongoing. Now we come on to uh, an, a, a really important part now, which is how do we protect ourselves? So we need to reduce the risk of infecting ourselves or infecting those around us. And this is actually incredibly simple. It's down to good personal hygiene and good respiratory hygiene. So the government goes on about cleaning our hands with soap and water on a regular basis for 20 seconds. Do it. It's so simple. Okay, if you've got access to soap and water, then you should be washing your hands on a regular basis with either soap and water. If you have access to soap and water, then have a, having a good alcohol based hand sanitizer will help in those times when you haven't got access to soap and water. Soap and water is incredibly effective. The, the coronavirus, the COVID-19, has a lipid, has a fat structure, the, the, a fat membrane which, which kind of supports it, and soap breaks down that fat membrane. But 20 seconds is important because that, that's the way we get it off our hands as well. It breaks the bond between the virus and our skin. So 20 seconds is really important. Maintain at least a three-foot distance, I would actually say a bit longer, maybe a six-foot distance between yourself and anyone that you see that is coughing or sneezing. Avoid touching your hands, sorry, avoid, I'll say it again, avoid touching your eyes, your nose and your mouth. Now, the way coronavirus, COVID-19, gets into your body is predominantly through your nose and your mouth, OK? It can... Get in through the eyes as well if you rub your eyes a lot, but it's your nose and your mouth that, which are the main ways that it gets in. You need to not touch your nose and your mouth on a regular basis. If you've touched door handles or, or other surfaces, make sure that you wash your hands as soon as possible. Um, and also uh, practice good respiratory hygiene. So cover your mouth and your nose with your bent elbow, so the crook of your elbow when you sneeze, or ideally sneeze into a tissue and then dispose of the tissue. This stops you spreading it. If you're coughing without even putting your hand over your mouth, then that's really poor hygiene. But equally, if you are coughing into your hand, you are then touching things, and that's not good. You're perhaps shaking hands with people, touching door handles, um, touching banisters. You need to not cough into, your, uh, cough into your hand, but cough into the crook of your elbow. And if you feel unwell, if you've got a fever, a cough, if you've got difficulty breathing, then seek medical advice straight away. Call your doctor, don't go into the surgery, or call 111. So who is at risk of developing the illness? We've covered this a bit already. It's older people, it's people with existing medical conditions, so high blood pressure, heart disease, lung disease, cancer, diabetes, people with a compromised immune system. But that doesn't mean that the younger ones of us are superhuman and it isn't going to get us at some point. So that's a good reason to still practice good personal hygiene and good respiratory hygiene. 
Are antibiotics effective? No, antibiotics do not work against viruses. Viruses and bacteria are completely different things. Antibiotics only work on bacterial infections and you should only take antibiotics if advised by your doctor. Do not self-medicate with antibiotics. They will genuinely cause you more problems. Are there any medicines or therapies that can help? Well, you can take traditional home and, uh, traditional and home uh, remedies that might comfort or alleviate the symptoms. But generally speaking, the thing that really deals with the virus at this particular time, until there is an antiviral um, made, is uh, time and rest. How long is the incubation period? So when we talk about the incubation period, the incubation period is the time between the time that we catch the virus and the time that we have the symptoms. Then most estimates on the incubation period for COVID-19 are 1 to 14 days, but commonly people are seeing symptoms at around 5 days. Can you catch COVID-19 from your pet? Now, there has been one instance in Hong Kong of a dog being infected with COVID-19, but that's one dog out of millions and tens of millions around the world. So there is no evidence um, that a dog or cat or any other pet can either catch COVID-19 or can transmit COVID-19, OK? But we still need to protect ourselves by cleaning our hands regularly and thoroughly if we are in contact with animals because people who might have coughed onto the hands may touch an animal and then we could pick up the virus that way. If you are sick um, with COVID-19 and you have animals, you should limit the contact with your animal and get people around you to maybe help with, your, with, with caring for your animal while you're sick. So staying away from animals, so that, that includes avoiding petting them, snuggling them, um, kissing them, avoid being licked by the animal, and also some people share their food with their animals, that should stop, OK? So if you're sick and you've got animals, please keep, keep your hands clean before and after you interact with them. And um, finally, how long can viruses live on surfaces? Well, I covered this on last week's show in more detail. The cold virus can live up to nine days on a hard surface. The coronavirus, COVID-19, it's been suggested around 72 hours. It's, it does become less active over time. But that's still obviously, it should make us cautious about touching hard surfaces in particular. And if we think a surface has been infected, then cleaning it with an alcohol-based um, solution or disinfectant will help to uh, destroy it. So there you go. Not fear-mongering, fear just giving you a lot of facts, a lot of information, a lot of knowledge. Um, don't be scared about it, but do take practical action to deal with it, to protect yourself and to protect others. After... The next song, we will go on to our guest interview with Sam, but to take us there, we have a great song from Paloma Faith.
Paloma Faith and picking up the pieces. You're listening to the Health Matters Radio Show with me, Neil De Silva. A quick reminder of the show's social media feeds. On Twitter, it's at Health Radio Show. On Facebook, search the Health Matters Radio Show and you can follow the show's Facebook page. And you can listen again to this show and all previous shows on the media page of my website, which is www.i-nutrition.co.uk or on iTunes podcast. So on to our guest interview uh, of the morning. Today, as I mentioned, we have Sam Palmer, and Sam is from Midlife Makeover. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Neil. Thank it, you very much for having me. It's great to have you on the show this morning, and I'm really looking forward to finding out more about uh, what you do and also how you can help people as well. Um, so before we, kick, uh, before we kick off and talk about really what you do and how you help people, perhaps you can give us a bit of background as to how you got into doing what you do. Yeah, um, basically I was a nurse, or I am a nurse by training. About a century ago I trained in London at King's College Hospital, mm -hmm. and um, my actual speciality at that point was neonatal intensive care, so that's working with babies that were born prematurely. Um, but I always loved the teaching element of working in the NHS. It was something that I was very passionate about. And um, 
actually after I had both my children, I decided I wanted to do something slightly different that didn't entail me working in the middle of the night. And so I looked for a teaching role and in fact ended up leaving the NHS and going and working in further education and um, teaching in a college for a long time. So having got a nursing qualification and a teaching qualification, I realised that definitely it was, it was sort of the coaching and the education that I loved. Mm -hmm. And then a family tragedy happened. Um, my brother, sadly, at 28, was killed in a motorbike accident. And um, he had just come back from Afghanistan, from the uh, war. And I was given a place to run in the London Marathon, which he had done just before he was killed. Okay. And I did the London Marathon and I recognised as I trained for it, that there was nowhere for what I call normal women to go and learn to run. Mm -hmm. At that point, so we're talking, you know, a long time ago, recreational running wasn't a thing. There wasn't the race for life or park run or mm -hmm. anything like yeah, that. Yeah. So basically, if you were a runner, you'd run at school or an athletics club. Um, and if you were just a normal woman who wanted to do something like this. So I thought, well, OK, I'm going to do something about that. And I set up alongside my work a little running group. OK. 21 years ago that was mm -hmm. um i've now coached thousands and thousands of women um initially in running but we also do walking and pilates etc 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 but i began to realize that some of those ladies um have been with me for 21 years so they are 21 years older and in fact their fitness needs are very different now mm -hmm. from how they were 21 years ago and what can i do about this and so this was about five or six years ago. I thought, well, hang on, what is actually happening to those people? What stage of life are they in? What, what, what's the difference? Um, and obviously it's the perimenopause, which is the, the phase that leads up to somebody being in the menopause. So I went off and did some education with um, a company called Burrell Education run by Jenny Burrell um, and basically combined my passion for coaching women, my science or my medical background um, in nursing, my hopefully excellent skills as a coach and set up the midlife makeover um, and that really is how it all pulled together so it's, it's very interesting that obviously you saw a gap in the market um, but even before that you realized that this was a personal journey for you it's always been a personal journey mm. it's always been uh, no that's not entirely true actually because i don't think you can be a particularly good coach just by your experiences. Yeah, I agree. That's that. So I'm not going to say that. So yeah. I don't think you're the most excellent coach just because you've been through something. Mm -hmm. I think you have to have the background and the education as well. Yeah. But there is no doubt that having been through experiences, you are a more all-round coach Definitely. and learning to run on my own. Yeah. Nobody helped me. I, I read it all from books at that point. Mm. Um, and equally, going into the menopause, it's really only in the last 18 months or maybe even 12 months that there's been a big explosion of people yeah. happy to talk about this subject yeah yeah and it's really interesting uh, really interesting because a lot of my guests almost without exception actually um they've been through something they've experienced something um they've looked for help in a particular area and it hasn't been there and in helping themselves they are now positioned to help other people so you're absolutely right i think people that have been through an experience yes as opposed to just read it in a textbook, yeah. are far better place to help other people. Yes. So I want to go back on the point that you made about normal women. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean, but for the listeners out there, perhaps could you expand on your, def your definition of definition what of a normal. normal woman is <laughs> to help them identify with that? Okay, so at that point, 
people who were running marathons, as I say, we're talking, you know, over 20 years ago, mm. tended to be people who were quite sporty at school. They'd gone on and at university they'd joined athletics teams or perhaps they were part of an athletics club. And most of the people then were running because it was kind of in their family or in their blood or something they'd always done. Yeah. Jump forward 21 years and I think probably if you look at households across the UK, you know, every two or three households, there would be somebody who's done some kind of recreational running. They didn't run at school, maybe. In fact, it was probably the last thing mm, they wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. But because running has been made so accessible to the masses, um, particularly with the you know, advent of Park Run, which encourages people to go out and get their, um, get their 5K under their belt, mm. those are what I call normal people. Um, Whereas the other people tend to tend to be very tall with very short shorts and very short hair. That's normally the men, anyway. Wearing lycra. Uh, wearing lycra. Yes, that's right. And, and those and the people, sorts of people that will, you know, go for the twenty-five minute five k, or they'll go for the sub three-hour marathon. So those are people that are in a completely different in, category. Yes, that's yeah. right. And those people are nearly always um, able to put themselves in, basically, let's be honest, it's a, a local athletics club situation. Mm. But if you turn up at an athletics club, and believe me, I was a coach for one for many years, their idea of a beginner is very different. OK, so a beginner, off you go and, and trot for a mile. Mm. Well, when I coach beginners, or and I still do, we start with 30 seconds. That's a very different mm. starting point. Yeah. Uh, and everybody needs to start somewhere. And, and I look after the people who need to start where I know they need to start. Yeah. And I think, I think to touch on that point as well, I think people that want to get into running, mm -hmm. a lot of people are uh, intimidated by it because they think it's going to be, you know, it's, it, it's either 5K or nothing. Absolutely. And actually, yeah. even if, you, as you say, you're jogging for, t for 30 seconds yeah. and then your next jog is 35 seconds, yeah. you're Absolutely. making progress. Absolutely. Yes. And, and lots of people aren't natural runners. No. So when we look at the marathon runners, when we look at the park runners, when we look at the 5K runners, mm -hmm. and they're doing it in half an hour, 35 minutes, mm. not many of them did that from day one. No, they, actually built, they actually built up to absolutely. it. Absolutely. If you look at the pictures of the start line of the London Marathon, and I've, I've been there five times, and I think it's postponed this year. Mm -hmm. If you look at the pictures, not of the very elite runners, but, you know, once once those people have gone, everybody's a different shape, a different size. The normal they're, people. They're the normal people. Mm. We're all built differently, and we've all got different endurance and strengths. But running is an accessible sport for a lot of people. Not all, not all people, mm -hmm. a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So let's have a talk about the ladies now. So we're t we're specifically looking at um, perimenopause or menopause or and postmenopausal Absolutely. women. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, in which ways does your services help those people? Okay. So the perimenopause is the period that leads up to the person becoming menopausal, and okay. you are said to be in the menopause when you haven't had a period for twelve months. So often people are ending up looking back at a period of time thinking, oh gosh, actually, yes, that's when things started to change a bit. I didn't really realise, but okay. looking back, I can see that things haven't been quite, here's the word again, normal. Mm -hmm. They haven't been normal perhaps for about ooh, four or five years. And so the, the, the menopause is when, as I say, you haven't had a period for 12 months. And for some women, they might not even know if they're in the menopause, people who have a Mirena coil, for instance, okay. um, they might not even have noticed. But in fact, looking back, when you, you say, you know, have you noticed this or have you noticed that? They think, yes, yes, I have noticed. Yeah. And then once that period is over, you're then said to be postmenopausal. And all three of those life stages 
bring their different challenges, mm. both for the woman and for the people that they and, live yeah, with yeah, and the people yeah, that they yeah. work with. Yeah. Um, and I, I support those women. Um, but they often don't necessarily know how much help they need until you take time to talk to them and say, are you noticing this and this? And they go, oh, yes, how did you know? They yeah. thought they were the only one. So obviously, not being a woman myself, yep. um, for women that are perimenopausal and are also going through the menopause, can it be quite a lonely um, uh, um, experience? I think it was very lonely up until about 18 months, 12 months ago, something right. like that, because the menopause, the big M, wasn't really talked about. Or when it was talked about, it was done in a rather sort of comedy way. I, I personally okay. don't like these memes that are going around, the seven stages of the menopause, itchy, bitchy, scratchy, you know, sweaty. Right. I, I okay. think that that demeans yeah, a woman yeah, I agree. at um, this phase of her yeah. life. I, I don't yeah. approve of it at all. And that yeah. that tended to be what you saw. And, Actually, I, and I guess that encourages people to then withdraw more yes, because absolutely. it's because it's being made fun of. Yes. Mm. So I have mm. Facebook groups, Facebook pages. I will talk to anybody who will listen um, or who wants to listen about the menopause so that people are feeling less alone. And I think that there is a big... Um, a big movement now for women who want that information, who want to not feel isolated and who want help to actually be happier seeking that information. Mm, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So what areas of um, these ladies' lives do you help with? Um, I think I clear the decks of all the information. It's a little bit like how everybody's feeling with COVID-19 at the moment. There is right. so much information now available some of it from reliable sources some of it from sources that are well this is what my mother told me so this is what i'm going to tell people mm -hmm. some of it from people who are trying to make money out of a situation yeah and i think people sometimes can't see the wood for the trees and what i help them do is work out what to listen to what to avoid listening to mm -hmm. and where they can start on their perimenopause journey to start to feeling how they want to feel again. I start to sort of just clear it out. I think I described it to somebody uh, the other day and uh, I do a discovery call with people. If you imagine a tangle of wires when you've got all your laptop wires or whatever, they're all in a tangle. So we know that that wire goes to there and we know that goes to there. Mm -hmm. I help to untangle those wires so okay. that, in fact, it becomes a clearer picture. Yeah. And then people can start to make a decision about, OK, right, this is what I'm going to do this week to help me feel better. So what sort of symptoms would a woman manifest as they go into the menopause? If you asked people before they are perimenopausal, most people would say, well, it's the hot flushes, isn't mm -hmm. it? That's what I know about, hot flushes and night sweats. And, and does that happen with every woman? Is no. That, is that, okay. No, it okay. doesn't happen mm -hmm. with every woman. It happens to most women, but it's not the thing that is the first thing to happen, and that's what people don't necessarily uh, know. Okay. Anxiety tends to be one of the first things, crippling anxiety. So I hear people say, well, actually, we were going to go to Amsterdam at Christmas, mm. but you know what? I'm a bit scared of flying. I never used to be scared of flying, but I'm a bit scared. Why are you scared? Have you noticed you're scared of other things? Well, yes, I'm a bit scared of... 
Yes, actually, I'm a bit scared of a lot of things. Um, it's fairly well that, known. That they wouldn't have been scared of yes, years before. I, I've, I've okay. said this to a lot of people. My husband um, is an ex-copper and he drives fairly swiftly, shall we say, in our car. <laughs> well, I could actually have worn a dent in the handle of the door. But, but within the speed limit, of course. Uh, absolutely. Every time. I'm hanging <laughs> on to the door handle and saying to him, poor man, it's 32 miles an hour and, you know, can you slow down? Darling, I'm really not going very fast. But it's scaring me. Right, OK. Why is it scaring me? So there's these irrational fears, people not wanting to go out. They don't want to go to public places. They're, they used to love entertaining and going out with their friends and suddenly they're thinking, no, actually, I'd rather put my PJs on and, and sit and watch television and eat a mm. box of Maltesers. And that's all part of this sort of anxiety. I think the other thing that's very common, uh, you can call it brain fog or you can call it forgetfulness, but... Mm -hmm. Having a conversation with somebody and suddenly thinking, I've completely forgotten your name. Or I'm writing a shopper list and what's the name of that fruit that's got red little sharp shiny berries in it? Oh, yes, pomegranate. Uh, you know, just forgetting the names of normal things is a very common thing when people look back on it. So, again, as I said at the beginning, it's a bit like a retrospective yeah. diagnosis. Yeah. Yes, I have been feeling that. And, of course, because menopause um, affects women at different ages, Yeah. you know, you get some that go into the menopause in their late 30s in some cases and some yeah. that don't get don't go into the, the, the menopause until their 50s. Absolutely. Um, Putting a, put, you know, identifying those symptoms becomes incredibly difficult. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you feel that a kind of a combination of um, miseducation, perhaps, um, people making fun of the situation and a little bit of social isolation kind of affects a lot of women? I think all those things affect a lot of women. Mm. Um, I think that there are challenges within uh, the workplace. There are challenges at home. A lot of people, so the average age of the menopause is now 51 across across the world, actually. Okay. It fluctuates a little bit in different cultures. So when you say 51. 51 now, was it yeah. once higher or well, once lower? In different cultures, it fluctuates slightly differently, depending okay. on perhaps how many children you've had. Okay. Or in some cultures where the way that they eat is different, okay. mm -hmm. uh, the menopause might happen slightly later. Okay. Or perhaps they might have different symptoms. So, right. But in general, it's 51. Yep. So... A 51-year-old now is very different from a 51-year-old 20 years ago. I've got friends who are 51, 52, who have got, still got children doing play dates mm. because their career lasted longer. Yeah. So those 51-year-olds may have parents in their 70s or late 70s and early 80s. They're still doing play dates with children. They're stuck in a sort of what I call the sandwich generation. Mm. My children are much older. My youngest one is, is uh, you know, much older than that. So I don't have those same stresses. So there isn't one place where everybody's going to be with the same symptoms. They're not all at the school gates. They're not all, you know, at universities with their or at their children at universities. Mm. So it's a, it's a very wide-ranging um, bunch of people perhaps yeah. having these yeah. symptoms. Yeah. So... You, you mentioned about the workplace. Now, yeah. obviously, within the workplace, particularly over the last, I would say, the last five or ten years, yeah. there's been a big focus on mental health awareness. Absolutely. And yes. lots of businesses and lots of indi uh, individuals do mental health yeah. first aid, mental health training, and I think that's, that's great. Raising the awareness of mental health conditions um, within the workplace, I think, is really important. Do you feel that there is an element within the workplace of lack of understanding of 
perhaps women that are going through the menopause? I think my answer is going to be yes. I mm -hmm. think there's a lack of understanding, but I think that comes partly from the women's lack of understanding, yeah, yeah. really, about what's going on and embarrassment and, and all of that sort of thing and, and a feeling that potentially she's going to be penalised if she says how she's feeling to her line manager who yeah. may be 15 20 years younger than her yeah um so there's a lack of understanding on the woman's part of course there's a lack of understanding on the employees that she works with mm -hmm. or her employer's part yeah. if they haven't experienced that themselves there's a lack of understanding in the home and of course obviously by that person's family so there is a lack of understanding but just to go back to the workplace um people are very comfortable saying I'm really not sleeping very well. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned to you that anxiety is one of the biggest issues. And then lack of sleep um, is a big issue too. And so if a woman feels assured that under perhaps the mental health, mental health awareness um, in the workplace, that she can have a conversation with uh, somebody she works with and says, you know, I'm actually, I haven't had a good night's sleep for a year. Mm. That opens a conversation for her then perhaps to be in a situation where she can say, well, actually, in addition to this, I also have this issue, this issue and this issue. And there are really simple things that a workplace can do mm. to alleviate that person. Just having a USB fan at that person's desk so she can control her environment yeah, yeah. Um, rather than having to walk into a room where everybody else wants the heating blaring and she feels embarrassed to say, look, actually, I'm really hot. Yeah. Just saying that, just having drinks um, in, the, in the breakout area that are caffeine free. We all know, and I'm sure you are very aware of this, Neil, that having caffeine after three o'clock can significantly affect a, a person's sleep. sleep patterns, so yeah. just mm -hmm. in meetings, there being a caffeine-free alternative is a simple thing. Um, but I, I, I certainly go into workplaces and talk to them about these simple measures that yeah. everybody can do to make a woman feel empowered again. Those women have got 30 years of experience often. Mm. We can't have those women feeling like they need to leave their one in four women need to feel that they need to leave work. We can't lose this vital resource yeah. in a workplace of, you know, of women who have got all these skills and this knowledge. Yeah. And in the same way that um, a responsible employer would be uh, educated into mental health conditions, then yeah. I, I would argue that a responsible employer that employs women, perhaps in their 40s and 50s, should also be educated about the menopause and how Absolutely. it affects their how it affects their employees. Yes, and so, it doesn't need to be boring no, either. No, Th these conversations can be vibrant. And it doesn't need to be graphic it and detailed. No, does it? we don't need to use the V word. V word. <laughs> and in your opinion, and. Again, I love these sorts of conversations because we kind of go off, at, you know, we go off at a tangent, <laughs> but the information is still very relevant. In your opinion, um, the connection between peri and menopausal symptoms and the mental health of the woman involved, yes, are there are there tangible links about how the menopause affects the mental health of that woman? One of the things that people sometimes say is, I actually thought I was going mad. Mm. I actually thought that this was nothing to do with my body. This was to do with my mental health. I thought I was going mad. Yeah. And there is no Which doubt... Which I guess is quite scary. Very, very because scary. Because there is a sense of lack of control then. Lack of control mm. and, and, and being poo-pooed slightly. Yeah. Um, and so 
very definitely if somebody doesn't feel that they're being listened to and they are feeling down. I'm not saying that uh, the menopause symptoms are the same as depression, but there is absolutely no doubt that if you have mental health issues and you are having no support from Mm -hmm. the symptoms of your menopause, it's not going to help matters at all. Definitely, we, we, you know, those, these women, we need to support these women. Definitely, definitely. Um, before the show, you mentioned about seven things that menopausal women might want to talk about or m- there, there might be ways that you can help people. Yeah, I, um, my passion, Neil, is all about movement. Mm-hmm. So I talk to people about lifestyle changes. I talk to them about their nutrition. Yep. I talk to them about mindfulness. But my passion, obviously, with my running background and, and all my coaching is, is about movement. And yep helping women understand that staying moving is absolutely vital but contrary to what they might have thought that they need to do Mm. they need to do seven or they need to bear in mind seven different things okay um up until the point that a woman goes into menopause she may well have thought that if she's a runner she's got to run further if she's a runner she's got to run faster if she goes to the gym the workout's got to be longer Mm -hmm. that everything is about more or faster or harder or whatever yeah um so there are two types of people that i come across there are people who have been involved in exercise who notice that they're putting on weight particularly around their midline okay and that everything's going to be getting a little bit harder in their running perhaps or in their fitness so they go at it hammer and tongs right And then there are the other women that I come across who haven't exercised for 10 years. They hate the idea of going to the gym. They know that they ought to do something, but they just don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. And this message is is just as true for them as it is for for anybody else. So a woman in their perimenopausal years needs to bring into their weekly exercise something slow. Okay. So I'm talking about yoga. I'm talking about Tai Chi. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about Pilates, anything that slows things down. Okay. Because part of the reason for weight gain, and you can hear my voice has gone much slower, Mm -hmm. is because people's cortisol levels, their anxiety and stress levels are through the roof. And in fact, as a runner, I never understood why yoga was going to help me. And in fact, obviously, I've had to come full circle over the last five or six years. But embracing slow movement is just as important mm-hmm. now as it ever was, if not more important. So there's a lot of free yoga you can follow online, but going to a class where you're interacting obviously is really important. Um, embracing strength. There is no point going on a flight and not being able to put your 15 kilo bag in the overhead locker mm-hmm. on your own. There's no point not being able to do that. We need to be able to lift, move, shift, bend, twist, and we need to be strong. So, again, one of the the things that people say to me is I'm putting on weight, I'm not eating any differently, I'm doing exactly the same, but I'm I'm putting on weight all the time. So those people are going to lose muscle Mm -hmm. and we need to get them to regain muscle, but in a way that is functional for their day-to-day life. So rather than avoiding lifting weight, they need to actually learn how to lose, how to lift weight, be that their own body weight or hand weight. So that's really important. Um, despite the fact that they're already a bit sweaty, some of the exercise they need to do needs to make them sweat. Mm-hmm. So oestrogen, which is one of the hormones that's going down, is cardioprotective. And our heart needs to be protected at this stage. So actually making your heart muscle work 
and you know you're making it work when you're sweaty because of exercise mm -hmm. becomes vitally important. Mm -hmm. um, and then let's talk about some of the lovely ones. Your exercise needs to be sociable. If you're dreading going to an exercise class and you're thinking, I really don't want to be there and there's nobody there that I like, well, for goodness sake, these are our F-off years, aren't they? Get out of that <laughs> class and do something that's sociable and you're enjoying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. But equally, it needs to be specific to that person's needs. Mm -hmm. So my uh, son took me to a cycle spin class about two years ago for a Mother's Day. Well, I could have been dead at the back of the room and nobody would have known because it was dark and the music was loud and there were all these young people mm -hmm. doing this class that was designed for 28-year-olds and there's me, a 53-year-old, at the back. If you're in a class with a guy who's 38, one of you's in the wrong class. Yeah. Okay, I'm not saying cycles wrong, spin classes are wrong. I'm really not. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that you know that that exercise needs to be specific for those women, and that mm -hmm. doesn't mean it needs to be boring. Yep. Um, so it's those sorts of things that are, are really, really important. It needs to make you smile. Yeah. If you're not smiling, again, you shouldn't be there. Yeah. So we've got strong, slow, sweaty, specific to you, so sociable, sociable, all of those things. It mm. becomes vitally important. Um, and finally, let, just going back to my running then, this is the time to make some of your exercise short. We can do really good things in a 20-minute exercise workout now if you're new to exercise you're going to embrace that i'm going to say yeah bring it on baby give me a 10, 10 minute workout but if you are a runner and you don't really like those 18 mile runs for goodness sake stop doing them yeah you've got to enjoy what you do get out and you? do something yeah. shorter and sharper and sweatier yeah. and if you enjoy it you're more likely absolutely. to commit to it aren't you yeah absolutely that's really interesting actually i am um, and the bit about being specific to your needs yeah i thought that was really good um but all of those things are very positive you yeah. know, so exercise doesn't have to be a chore. No. If, you, you know, if you make it a chore, yeah. you're probably doing it wrong. Absolutely. And Absolutely. as they get older, it's not just about the, the position they're in at the minute with the menopause, but certainly as they go into their 50s and 60s and 70s, yeah. exercise that they put in place now yes. will help them as they age. Absolutely. If we can't move now and you get birthday cards for 110-year-olds, mm -hmm. okay, how are we going to be moving when we're 110? Definitely. We, Definitely. we need to move over menopause, which is... Why I do what I do. Excellent. So what successes have you had with your clients? Um, over the years, I have, I'm proud to say I've had thousands of successes, but specific successes are generally about getting people to embrace the fact that movement is what they're looking for, perhaps mm -hmm. rather than exercise. Mm -hmm. um, I've had ladies who have been able to come off medication because their bone density has improved so much, which is something I'm very proud of. I love to educate people that wine o'clock you know, mm -hmm. seven o'clock opening a bottle of wine mm -hmm. and you know sitting on the sofa with a box of Maltesers is is not the way to go mm -hmm. embracing movement into their normal life and, and it's not boring yep. helping people to reduce their caffeine but all of these specific things basically gives people back their sense of vibrancy mm -hmm. which is what they've lost yeah giving them back a sense of control, control. over their life yeah. Yeah. that they're making decisions um and that movement is something that they can enjoy and that it's almost the key thing it's a non-negotiable that sleep and nutrition yeah. in the menopause yeah. are an absolute non-negotiable to feel how we want to feel i'm not going down feeling like an old gray boring <laughs> woman i'm afraid and it's not always about making huge changes no. it is about making small changes that you can sustain on a yes, daily basis absolutely so whether yeah. it's exercise or whether it's your diet yeah. 
just making those small changes but being consistent, consistent can yes. make a lot of difference yeah. over time yeah. can't and it? it's quite hard as you know to build new habits you need somebody to be yeah. accountable to definitely I, I think you know a lot of people can well i can read all sorts of things but it doesn't mean i do them yeah um you need somebody to guide to you push through you those steps. and support you and, and support, support you. you yeah so sam what are your what are your plans for the coming year um I have enjoyed working face-to-face with people for 25 years, Mm -hmm. but I know, and gosh, we're right in the thick of it, aren't we now, that more and more people are looking for coaching online Mm -hmm. and the ability to coach and touch more people's lives online is something that I'm doing at the moment. I'm just about to start my next Move Over Menopause course, which is an online 60-day course helping people go from literally from zero to moving and enjoying that movement along Mm -hmm. with eating better and feeling feeling better, um, starting to get new habits. So I'm launching that next course just after Easter in April. Um, I'm loving the fact that I'm going out and speaking at events and retreats and going into workplaces because I love to demystify all of this and, and to show people that it doesn't have to be boring. Mm. That you know you can give back people this sense of vibrancy. Yeah. So this year for me is 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 a great year. It's an exciting year to get out and, and talk to people and get them moving over the menopause absolutely and just 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 to touch on a point that we spoke about a bit earlier it's not just and we haven't got time to cover it today but it's not just about the women is it it's also about their partners absolutely it's about helping men to have an understanding of what their partner their wife their girlfriend is going through in the next month or so i'm just working on it at the moment i'm going to be uploading a video to my facebook page what I wish my husband understood mm. about my menopause. Yeah. Because I think a lot of women don't, as we said before, don't understand what's going on. So how on earth can the husband understand yeah. why he's walking on eggshells all the time? Yeah. He, he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand that her libido's gone, everything's a bit uncomfortable. And he needs to understand. And if, he, if he's told, most men who care dearly about the women, or yeah. women that live with women, they yeah, care yeah, dearly yeah. about those people. Yeah. And they just need to be given some some help to understand the facts and that's something I'm I'm working on right now. Brilliant, brilliant. So as a quick reminder in summary, who are you specifically looking for to come come to you? I'm looking to be able to help anybody who knows that they're heading into this life stage, uh, whether they're sort of early 40s and they know it's on its way or perhaps they're later, they're heading towards 50 and they want some help and they want realistic, honest, science-based advice that will give them everything, their nutrition, their health, their rest and their movement to get them from where they are now to where they want to be. Super. And if people people want to get, get in contact with, with you, Sam, um, what's your preferred method of I have a contact? website called Midlife Makeover. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a Facebook page, which is open to the public, but I have a Facebook group, which is secret. If you find my Facebook page, Sam Palmer okay. Midlife Makeover, you'll be directed to the secret group. Because whilst I don't mind men following my page, I think once people start talking about the fact that they've got uncomfortable bits all over the place they don't necessarily want to know that men are following so i have a secret group too super and what i'll do for you is in the in the post promotion for the show i'll put your links in and i'll I'll include a link to your website as well and a free discovery call if somebody wants to have a chat with me i'd love to talk to them fantastic it's been really interesting to find out more about what you do sam and also from a personal point of view you know i'm at that age and you know my wife is of that age and it's been it's been an education for me as well so um, so thank you very much. And thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. It's too. been a pleasure. Um, we will cover adrenal fatigue on next week's show. As you'd appreciate, um, my discussion with Sam today was really, really interesting. So we, 
we, we, we kind of went over time a little bit, but it's not a problem. We'll cover adrenal fatigue on next week's show. Um, and as I mentioned, I'll put Sam's contact details uh, on the social media page of my website and also uh, on, fa- on Facebook as well. So uh, thank you again, Sam, for coming on the show. We are going to wrap up now, but um, all that's left for me to do is to bid you a happy week ahead. Stay happy, stay healthy, take on board some of the points I made about personal hygiene and respiratory hygiene with uh, regards to the coronavirus, and uh, hopefully you can protect yourself and others around you as well. So if you'd like to come on the show, as Sam has done today, and talk about what you do and how you help people, please make contact with me through my website, and we'll chat from there. But until the same time next week, have a great week ahead, and I will catch you again on next Monday. a blow shoots up through the stony ground there's no room no space to rent in this town you're out of luck and the reason that you had to care the traffic is stuck and you're not moving anywhere you thought you Turn for grace, so beautiful.